Welcome, Jeff Johnston, host of the Living Undeterred podcast. Uh, to say I'm excited about this uh, episode today would be an understatement. Uh, I'd like to say I've known Eric my whole life, but I've only known him in a short amount of time. Like a lot of my new friends I've met uh, on social media, uh, which has been, especially LinkedIn has been amazing for me, Eric, and I'm sure for you, you know, you've, you've opened up a lot of doors as well. Um, <laughs> full disclosure, uh, what we're going to talk about today, uh, I have zero experience in. Um, absolutely zero yet as a mental health advocate, somebody who has buried two loved ones close to my heart. Uh, I'm tired of people dying. I'm tired of people being unhappy in their lives and I'm tired of people quitting. So Eric, I'm all hands on deck. I am, I'm so excited about some of the alternative areas of mental health, uh, you know, research, I guess I'll call it, but I can't really say research cause it's been going on for a long, long time. What we're going to talk about today. You're in Louisville, and you are the minister and president of Sanctuary Church. Welcome to the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. And I want to just applaud you off the bat for acknowledging that you have no experience with this topic. There are so many people in this world right now, in this in this field, who are presenting themselves as experts or at least knowledgeable and you get to talking with them and find out they have no experience and everything that they're communicating is based on what they've read. Right. And so I, I really appreciate that you acknowledge that and bring that out. Yeah. The interest is for people who are, are interested, uh, what is Sanctuary Church? Um, you're located in Louisville, Kentucky, and your expertise or your area of why I wanted you on the show today is pretty wide range, but we're just going to throw out the word that most people can probably get uh, accustomed to, and that's psychedelics. Um, I like mm. to say plant-based medicine. I'm sure that you prefer that as well. Um, you know, if you go back thousands of years, the indigenous people have been using plant-based medicine, you know, just in normal aspects of life. It wasn't anything odd for them. It was just, you know, normal mm. part of the earth, you know, mother nature providing something, you know, I, I guess as we progress, especially into the seventies and eighties, you know, we had this war on drugs. We had this whole just disastrous way that we approach these things. And I think a lot of really good research on psychedelics kind of got buried, you know, got, got shoved off oh, yeah. and there seems to be a resurgence. Um, it seems like every day, Eric, I see an athlete, uh, Aaron Rodgers talks about his ayahuasca retreats, um, movie stars, you know, famous people, billionaires, but that's not the reason that my interest isn't because of other people doing it. It's more of the fact that there are areas of mental health that I have no absolutely no knowledge in and that piques my interest and so i wanted to get you on the show uh it seems to be what you do every day um why don't you kind of speak as if you're speaking to people that really don't have any idea what you're talking about um as my dad used to say talk in human terms <laughs> um <laughs> because i think this plant-based medicine has some has some footing in society today um so let's talk a little bit about uh what this is to you why you do what you do and a little bit how um this this renaissance and this resurgence can help people get through the tough times that they're going through. Yeah, for sure. Uh, there's, there's so much that we could explore here. Uh, and just to kind of make a distinction while I do certainly put a, a preference, uh, on plant based psychedelics, uh, fully recognize that synthetic compounds like LSD, um, MDMA, 2CB have some, incredible applications and that they are uh, equally valid as medicines. But what I think the plants do most effectively is really connect us back to 
I want to say spirit. I want to say nature. Mm. I want to just say this ineffable, you know, where, wherever it is mm. that we come from. My, I have a dog behind me who has a, a bit of an issue. So if you hear him that's burping fine. in the background, that's what it is. We've, um, had, we've had stranger but, things happen on this show. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, I think that's ultimately what specifically mushrooms that's that's mm -hmm. my specialty i've been working with in in the field of mycology for 29 years almost now um and have been specifically focused on psilocybin for about 17 mm -hmm. years i've treat i've treated a well over a thousand people um and have have myself worked with the medicine a lot and i think that ultimately what it does is it reconnects us with ourself you know mm -hmm. so much of our i believe mental health crisis is at root of spiritual health crisis and and so to be able to reconnect with the mystery is where the healing comes from and that's what the research is showing us as well right the the, the clinical work shows that the more profound of a mystical experience that is had in a psychedelic session then the longer the healing persists yeah i like the way you say mystical and spiritual because i think there's you know um i think i taught i told you on our our pre-interview, Eric, is that I'm agnostic. So what agnosticism is for people who aren't real clear, that just means I'm basically willing to concede. I have yet to experience anything that would convince me that there is or isn't a God. So I just, mm. well, it, that whole term, the, the term God has just, right. It's so loaded with so much historical baggage, folklore you know? and so, mythology. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, I consider myself ag agnostic as well. The, the, I don't right. know, I don't yeah. know. And, and none of us do. And I think that's the, one of the important you know, pieces to bring in this conversation that really isn't uh, very often, even in the psychedelic world is we don't know what's going right. on. You know, like we can get closer and closer to answers or we can get we can get answers that bring us closer to an understanding but we will we will never be able to wrap our heads around this mystery yeah. and i and we that's so important i guess what really just irritates the heck out of me eric and again i again i'm not i'm not pro psychedelics i've never done this stuff so I, i'm probably the perfect one to be an advocate or someone interested in this because i don't have a dog in the hunt um but to me, it's pretty clear what we're doing isn't working. It's pretty clear <laughs> yeah, yeah. that the way we've looked at things for the last hundred years has not worked. And if it has been working, then let's see the reams of evidence. Let's see the statistics of mm -hmm. overdose deaths dropping down. Let's see the statistics of suicides dropping down. Let's see the statistics of alcohol abuse and alcohol deaths dropping down. Let's see the statistics of Gen Z that has no anxiety, no, no stress in their life. And it's, it's not, it's almost comical that everything is on the other way around. All the statistics are just mm -hmm. massively demonstrating that the ways we are looking at these things are not working. I'm not saying they're wrong or right. I'm just saying they're not working. And so mm -hmm. if we just keep continuing what we're doing, giving our kids Adderall, uh, sending them to see more therapists, um, you know, telling them to turn off their phones, you know, things that just hasn't worked. Um, I just don't think we can expect the numbers to get better. So that leads me into psychedelic research. And then the other area, kind of the frontier is the brainwave technology, uh, specifically TMS, uh, MERT technology. There's a lot of technology out there that is piqued my interest in regards to 
ways we can identify in adolescents and young kids brainwave patterns that could may, maybe tell us that they're predisposed to have uh, alcoholism or predisposed to have anxiety. So it's like, why wouldn't we be interested? You know, so that brings up a question I want to ask you. That was more of a statement I just said instead of a question to you. Okay, let's talk about the obvious problem is a lot of states, most states, this stuff's illegal. So how do you how do you get past this without having to fly to Costa Rica? Yeah, well, um, <laughs> a loaded question. Well, right? so well, it, it, it's just tough. It's tough. And, um, you know, I find myself in a difficult position here at times because this has been for since I was I don't even know. 17 or 18 years old when I first was exposed to cannabis after a life of being convinced that it was this devil's weed or this, you know, this dangerous plant. And then growing up in bourbon country, you know, I, Maker's Mark distillery is right down the road from where I grew I up. Right. And that's what everybody yep. did. And so I finally, I, I smoked some cannabis and I was like, this is great. And this is not at all what they they told me. And then, you know, so I became very early on an advocate for plants and that there, there is zero justification for plants being illegal. And, and despite being arrested for psilocybin in 2015, myself, I, I just kind of have walked in a world where I, that I, I don't buy that. You cannot, you cannot tell me that a plant is illegal and I'm not going to abide by that. So I don't want to necessarily encourage anyone to live the life that I right. have lived because it has caused some challenge, right. you know. Um, now, what we've done with Sanctuary, so just a little bit of a backstory for your audience to understand where this is coming from. You know, I started the first uh, psilocybin mushroom retreat in the world. It was in Jamaica in 2013. I uh, just bootstrapped a retreat center that treated people for just severe trauma anxiety depression and have just this really was in 13 world for 2013 okay uh -huh. and and i guess i'll let you finish but I was, what piqued your interest to do this because this is a pretty big risk you know because you're not very oh, old so you hadn't been pretty young then i was i was 30 yeah. something i'm 45 i'll be 45 this year anyway um mushrooms you know i, I had a mushroom farm gourmet mushroom farm and was growing 15 or so varieties for local restaurants. And I had long had personal experience with psilocybin uh, that, you know, I gradually increased my, my exposure and practice with psilocybin until 2009. 99 was my first experience with psilocybin. In 2009, I started the farm and I finally had the ability to grow mushrooms kind of on a bigger scale. I had always grown my own psilocybin since I even kind of got entered that world. I just knew that this was, this was for me. And so I started growing my own mushrooms and then in 09 kind of took it to the next level and started working with friends in my community, you know, right. on underground. And, uh, in 2011, there were a couple of mushroom experiences that I had where it came you know, information was transmitted to me very clearly that you are going to do this. I was already going to Jamaica. I had friends down there um, and just had a deep love for the island and the culture and knew that psilocybin was unregulated. And it came into me in a mushroom mm. trip where this, this was directed for you to do. And I resisted it for quite some time because it was such a huge undertaking, right? Um, and it just, every time I would commune with the mushroom, it would just pin me to the ground and say, this is what hmm. you're doing. And we're going to have this conversation until you accept. So finally, I finally accepted. And then I decided that I, if I, if I was going to take on this enormous responsibility of dosing strangers 
in a foreign land that I was going to have to get some real practice under my belt. Because right. the thing about psilocybin that's not really being portrayed is how variable the experience can be. You can take a mushrooms a hundred times and you will have a hundred different experiences and a certain percentage of those will be terrifying right. and a certain percentage of those will be blissful and a certain percentage will be mundane or, you know, so it's so variable. And so I decided uh, if I was going to do this, then I was going to just step up my practice. And I, for the entire year of 2012, every new moon and full moon, I did five to 10 grams of psilocybin by myself out in the wilderness. Uh, and it was a, it was a real training ground. It was a real boot camp, if you will. Uh, and then in 13, we officially started micro meditations. I had hosted the first retreat there. Uh, and it kind of, you know, it's, it grew slowly by word of mouth. I was still doing underground work here in the States and someone reported us. And in 2015 we were arrested. And so after that, my, my master's degree was basically worthless, oh. you know, with three felonies. Um, and I just put everything that I had into the Jamaica retreats, knowing that this was the future of spiritual and mental health. Mm. You know, I, I just, I just knew right. that because it's, it's the past. Right. It, it's what sustained us in the past. So it has to be what holds us in the future. That's my, sure. my has been yep, my understand. belief anyway. Yeah. So I just, um, admire your courage, man. You know, in the face of a lot of things, um, you just had a belief structure. And I think that passion is what drives a lot of us, um, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in the midst mm -hmm. of that myself, you know, at 56 being in the investment business my whole life. And now I'm, uh, you know, the founder of a startup company on men mental health. It's like, <laughs> where does where's the crossover <laughs> there? But I embrace it. I'm really mm -hmm. excited about it. Um, I like the, I think the risk is in not doing it, you know? Yes, so, absolutely. Yeah. I, I could not live my life and not do what I'm meant to do. And I think that's a big, one of the big takeaways people have over the years, people have come to me and been inspired and then they want to kind of follow suit. And, and I always try to communicate like, don't, I, I know that it seems like the mushroom is the thing, but it's, it's my mm. thing, not just my thing, but you probably have some other inspiration of yours, mm. you know? So people have a tendency to see passionate people and then think that their passion is what, where it's at, right. but where, where it's at is your passion, right. whatever that that's is. That's a great, you know, and that's been I'm happy. You said that. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's a really good point. That's fine. Um, because do you think, like psilocybin and mushrooms in general. And I want you in a minute, explain exactly what this does to the, to the mind, uh, what psilocybin does in simple terms. But do you think it unlocks something in us that's already there or does it act or yes. does it put something in us that isn't there? No, it's just showing us what's already mm -hmm. there. hundred percent. And that's why if you have a difficult trip, it's trying to show you something that's there. You're carrying some kind of baggage around it's part of the process, your right? daily the life. Difficult trip is they, like recovery. Exactly. It's like falling off the wagon. It's part of the process. Exactly. Interesting. Oh God. Yeah. And I, you know, I've worked with a lot of folks in recovery and have seen some really interesting stuff and in how people will come to the mushroom, have profound experiences, be determined that they're never going to drink again. And then, fall off the wagon, if you will, and have a, a real bad relapse. And that ends up being the most helpful thing that could have happened because they, they had that powerful mushroom experience where they saw clearly the outcome of their actions. Mm. And then they fall back into an old pattern and it just smacks them twice as hard and has done it to me as well, you know? So uh, it, it to, to highlight that it is healing is a process. It very rarely is instantaneous, right. all inclusive, 100%. right? Yeah. So in simple terms, step a naive person like me, what happens in the brain? Um, what happens in the body? Um, 
in, in like I said, in the simplest terms, you know, um, what, what happens in the mind? Well, why does this mushroom, why does this plant-based thing unlock something inside of us? And why can't we do that with other things? Or maybe we can. Yeah, well, we, we definitely can. Um, and I think in simplest terms, I would say the honest God's truth is we don't okay. know, right? We know, we, we know parts of it, but here's the reality is that we're, we're, we know that psilocybin uh, is a serotonin analog, so it fits into serotonin receptors. It has a, uh, a preference for um, uh, the 5-HT2A receptor, uh, but we're, all of our studies have been focused on psilocybin's activity in the brain, and we have more serotonin receptors in our gut and our heart than we do in our brain, brain. Yep. right? So we're, we're still kind of have a... I, I believe a pretty myopic perspective mm. on what's going on, but it, even that little bit that we're getting is incredibly complicated. I mean, we do know the prefrontal cortex is blood flow is limited there, which is a filter to an information filter. You know, we're surrounded by billions of bytes of information all the time. And this prefrontal cortex, one of its roles is to kind of filter that information so that we're not overwhelmed. And when you limit the blood flow, the activity in that portion of the brain, then you actually receive more information. Uh, there's other stuff going on, too, in uh, um, firing across the hemispheres. There's some stuff that happens in the uh, amygdala. There, there, there's a lot going on, basically. But the main activity is limited activity in the prefrontal cortex in terms of the brain. What's your thoughts, um, aside from the legality, let's say this stuff's legal everywhere in the world, um, is there a specific age that probably should not be used? I mean, I know the prefrontal cortex isn't, isn't fully formed till 25 or they keep moving it up. I think it was 24 a decade mm -hmm. ago. Now it's like 25 mm -hmm. or 26. <laughs> is there a certain mm -hmm. age that these things shouldn't be probably used? Or is that like, it's really up to the user. It's up to the, the each, each, each individual, you know, one 18 year old can be substantially different than another 18 year old. I just didn't know what your thoughts are on that. But, Aside from the legality yeah, part, but, let's just take that off the table. Right, right. I mean, they are. They, it is a very individual experience and approach that should be taken. Um, but I will say that in in for for this um, technology that we have lost ninety five percent of our information around, you know, due to colonialism and the you know all the the outfall of uh, this Catholic. It, it was the Catholics. I was born and raised Catholic. I'm not criticizing Catholics per it's se. It's okay. But, you can you do know, whatever you want on this show. The, 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 well, I mean, I, you know, I definitely want to be inclusive, but I also want to, you know, speak to the truth of what happened. And that was that the Spanish conquistadors came over here and they saw the uh, Mesoamericans, the South Americans using mushrooms in particular and said that they were talking to demons and then, you know, right. use that as part of their basis right. to, you know, destroy that population. So we lost tons of information about these plants and we're again, coming at it from a very Western materialistic mindset. So we're getting a, a limited perspective. And what I would say is that these traditional cultures would administer psilocybin as early as age eight. Mm. Um, in, in some cultures that use ayahuasca, uh, they would actually put some of the ayahuasca tea on the mother's nipple before the child had its first wow. nursing, wow. right? To immediately bring them into the culture. We, we know that toxicologically psilocybin is exceedingly safe. We know that there is no system in the body that it has any negative impact mm. on period. I have dosed, I have a 19 year old son, uh, who had a very traumatic upbringing, um, an alcoholic mother and right. whatnot. And I dosed, I dosed him at 14. 
and he's dosed probably 10 times since huh. then. And it, it has saved his life. It's absolutely saved his life. I know that he says that he's very involved in our church now. Um, it, it, it's just turned his life around. So I've also worked with 15, 16 year olds with their parents, uh-huh. you know, being there with us who were autistic or who had migraines and they, every single one of those individuals found relief. So, you know, it, it's, it's, might might cause some waves to say that I think that it's okay to de- to mm. dose a 13 or 14 year old, but I don't really care. You know, I've got a book on my shelf yeah. here, Acid Dream. There was a it, it was fully documented. There was uh, research in the United States in the 40s giving uh, self mutilating nonverbal autistic children uh, exceedingly high doses of LSD, like a th- a thousand micrograms, which is 10x the wow. dose of regular dose, and these children went into complete remission became mm-hmm. could could communicate became you know non-self mutilating and all of that research was destroyed uh so you know there there is substantial historical and even clinical evidence that shows clearly that psychedelics uh are are safe are, you know safe yeah in the right circumstances i think it's also really important though to make a distinction because something else that i find problematic is that a whole host of psychotropics are being lumped into the category of psychedelics mm. mdma and ketamine for instance are t- are the two primary examples yeah ketamine uh, getting very ha- popular now at least in verbiage yeah I mean, and you hear it all the time and it's it's done a lot of good but it is habit forming it's not actually a psychedelic uh and mdma the same way is very powerful it has a lot of uh, great applications but it can be habit forming it's not a classic psychedelic it does not have anywhere near the same safety profile as psilocybin or lsd so i think that's important to to note yeah. um and i do i do want to yeah. go back though if we can talk about access because that's that's kind of that's been my mission is to help expand access to the to this this plant to this medicine so you know we we did the retreats in jamaica and for my taste the work there became a little too um close to clinical you know yeah. the people that were coming there they saw us as a therapeutic center which it was and i purposely put that face forward because we wanted to be as open to as many people as possible but this has always been a spiritual experience for mm-hmm. me and so in jamaica i found myself the luxury really of helping you know scientists and philosophers and some incredible individuals high, high level business people um kind of step into spirituality mm-hmm. Because that is almost invariably, if you continue working with the mushroom, it's going to present you with the mystery. And that is, that's the doorstep of spirituality, right? So what we did with Jamaica kind of started, like I said, it started to feel like it was just, it just was moving away from how I believe that this is best practiced. I truly believe that the best practice for psychedelics is within a spiritual container. Um, And so we moved back to America uh, my wife and kids and I, and we started Sanctuary Church, which is a sacred mushroom church. We we uh, we stand and maintain that psilocybin mushrooms are a sacrament, and that it is our constitutional right to use them. And so far, that's that's held up not just in our um, in our community. We have over 200 members nationwide, but there are multiple instances where plant-based psychedelics have held up at sup- state level Supreme Court and even federal Supreme Court. So. Not only are we seeing a real drastic shift in our um, understanding and exposure to psychedelics in a clinical sense, I think we are going to see psychedelics just drastically change the religious landscape in the United States for the better. Wow, a lot. I have so many 
roads we can go down on that comment. <laughs> um, not even sure where to start. Um, okay. So let's, I think what bodes well for this whole industry you're talking about is a couple things. One, I'm an investment. Well, I used to be an investment advisor. That was my career. So I like to follow the money. There is a lot of money going into this area. <laughs> uh, some pretty mm -hmm. big name. Uh, Peter Thiel is an individual who's a, a hedge fund manager. I think he was with um, Merrill Lynch, mm -hmm. if I remember right. He's got uh, a vested interest or um, put a lot of money into uh, Compass Pathways, for example, is a, a company out there. I'm mm -hmm. not recommending any of these companies. They're just come to my head. Um, and there is a lot of uh, a lot of money going into this research. I think a lot of smart people see that, you know, kind of like 10 years ago and when cannabis went from zero to now half the country is has has it legal and you can get mm -hmm. you know even in iowa here you can get the cbd creams you can get uh, the drops under your tongue so i mean this stuff's coming you can fight it you can put your head in the sand and like i said if things were getting better on the other side i would say we don't probably need to even go down these roads and but it's but it's there's a fine line there man there's a real fine line i think it's pretty clear that you know there is this stigma with these things as being gateway drugs and and Maybe it's legitimate. I mean, there are, but I think there's a lot of gateway everything. I mean, you look at sugar, mm -hmm. you look at caffeine, I was gonna say, you yeah. look at alcohol. <laughs> I mean, we we could play that game forever. And I say we as I'm not an advocate right. of psychedelics. Give me, don't get me wrong. There, I'm saying we as an mm -hmm. open-minded human. You know, um, right. we we can play that game forever. If you want to talk about gateway stuff, um, it starts at a very young age. Cell phones can be a gateway to things. Um, for so, sure. you know, going back to the war on drugs, have you seen Johan Harry's movie out called The Fix? Uh, do you know who Johan no. Harry is? Okay. No. He is, you know, arguably one of the biggest, most well-known. I'm not sure what I put him in. I'd say, I'd say addiction experts. I don't, I don't know what his clinical background is, but he's, his TED Talk uh, has been viewed, one of the most, most viewed TED Talks of all time. And he came up with the phrase that the opposite of addiction was connection, you know, human connectivity, right? His new documentary out called the fix. It's like nine, 10 minute little videos. It's actually narrated by Samuel L. Jackson. So that does huh. add some credibility to, you know, to his documentary, at least from a voice standpoint, it sounds good, <laughs> but he starts off with, and I've read his book, chasing the scream, which is all about, okay. I, 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 yeah, yeah, I thought it's I knew all about yeah. the war on okay. drugs. And this is yeah. coming from somebody, like I said, again, I'm not an advocate on these things. I'm just open-minded, but the war on drugs has been a colossal failure on, on many, <laughs> yeah. many fronts. I, I don't think, mm -hmm. I don't think I could get too many people in here that could show me evidence where the war on drugs has worked. Um, no. you'd have to probably nitpick, but so how far did that set us back or how far did that set our society back oh God, yeah. in regards to understanding plant-based medicine it just had to have been disastrous in, in setting setting us back yeah who's to say right i mean that's the thing is that psychedelics can accelerate healing so drastically that it's hard to even imagine where we would be as a society if we had been incorporating these tools for the last 60 right. years you know uh yeah it's, it's a it's a tragedy i mean my family was uh uh, you know, they were ringleaders in the cornbread mafia. It was the largest uh, U.S. cannabis grow operation ever busted anyway. Um, and we, we lost tons of land. My uncles, 
you know, died very shortly after spending most of their adult lives in prison. Wow. And, 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 and that's just a piece of the story. There are, there are millions of human beings who have been caged yeah. like animals for plants. It's and highly it's, discriminating that is the crime. too. Uh, a lot more African Americans. Oh my God! Yeah. Uh, if you, if you look, oh, yeah. especially marijuana, you know, just pot. You know, right. people sitting in there for 10, 15 years is oh, just for a, there's a guy in, in Texas. Itself. Yeah, there was a guy in Texas. I can't remember. I used to know his name, but he was arrested for a joint. A black man arrested for right. a joint and was convicted for to life in prison for one cannabis. It was joint. Because it was like three strikes so, or something, or just some ridiculous. Prob- probably yeah, that's probably like his. Yeah. 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 We, we there's so many things we need to do to be more compassionate for people who are using these things for pain management or uh, treatment for people who have addiction issues that, 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 you know, I, I'm all for that. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm a, I'm going to say recreation yeah. too, right? Yeah. I mean, here, here's the deal. Recreating ourselves is part of our life's right. purpose. We are, we are meant to be changing. We are meant to actually enjoy this life. Mm-hmm. And these, these tools that's one of the most profound aspects of healing that occurs. If I could tell you the number of times that I have worked with people who had, you know, they came to me with severe depression and they spent six hours laughing and just hilarity and they came out and like that was the medicine that they needed was to just have a good time, to let so go so of spooky? all the why, why? Why are we so afraid of these things or why is society trying to make us afraid of these things? Well, a big part of that is the war on drugs. And I, I truly believe that an aspect of the war on drugs was to keep us pitted against each other, right? There's those scary Brown and black people and there's these, you know, yeah. and, and so I really believe that there was a, uh, a systematic suppression of the, the unifying Force that is psychedelics. Look at the 1960s and what was happening when psychedelics were really widespread. People were coming together, protesting war, and really kind of coming up, you know, in in unity. And like that's that's I think that's worth taking note of. Uh, so it 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 amazes me. You know, you just mentioned Adderall to children because Don't get me going on that man be, that started my well, whole son's you know, demise was given Adderall to him because of something as ridiculous really? as attention deficit, you know, which it's, I have, it, I've never it, it, been medicated. It makes my blood boil. Oh, it's infuriating. Yeah, it is. It's infuriating. There's no doubt. There's no doubt, you know, but how many millions of parents are convinced that this is the right thing because the doctor with the white coat handed down from the pharmaceutical company that's, you know, that's, that's, lobbying yeah. the government well, Eric, there's more adults you know, on adderall than kids today really? adderall is prescribed more to adults than children today mm-hmm. adult adderall and then kids are stealing it from their and, mom and dad's medicine cabinets and taking it to school and selling it for 20 dollars a pill or whatever and so they wow, created this yeah. market and the drug dealers see this so now they create you know fake adderall Jeez. and then they put fentanyl in it to addict i mean so it's it's there's like this cause and effect but yeah I, I, again Somebody mm-hmm. watching this can validate this, but I, I had an expert once tell me that there's more Adderall. And now there's an Adderall shortage in the United States. You heard that. Like no. prescribing too much of I, it. I, it's just insane. I, I, I honestly, it gets me so mad. I've, I've checked, I've checked out of the pharmaceutical world as much as possible. Um, you. you know, and, and yeah, it's just, it's just heartbreaking. It's criminal, but it goes to show how 
pervasive ideology can mm. be when it comes down from this top-down authoritarian right. model, right. right? And that's the beautiful thing about these plants is that we as individuals can take power of our for our own healing, you know. Now, I think it's always important to point out that psilocybin, again, is extremely unpredictable and that if you are even relatively experienced you still want to have someone there with you. This is not something to just flippantly do. That's a big, I think, I think that's a, a problem that we're seeing coming out of this research that, you know, in all honesty is cherry picked, you know, they're picking yeah, yeah, subjects that will produce certain right. results and, and like, I'm not criticizing, but that's just right. a reality. And so you have all these people that are hearing, Oh, psilocybin can do this. This is how psilocybin works when it's such an unpredictable uh, treatment or experience. And so having someone there with you who is yeah. highly experienced is extremely so valuable. Let's talk about set and setting. You hear that a lot in this context. Um, but I also want to say meditation is the same way, man. It's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, mm -hmm. you know, you're obviously not taking anything when you meditate, but there's people that do it with music. Some do it silent. Some do it open eyed. Some do it closed. Some mm -hmm. do it with incense. Some do it with, um, guided meditation, you know, it's, it, the experience in meditation is unique to every single, there's no two people have the same experience right. meditating. But likewise, when meditation first was starting to be taught publicly here in the U S it was, this is how you meditate, right? Like yeah. this is how you right. do it when that's just not, that's not how it say, works. Well, Jeff, what's the best <laughs> advice you would give me? Cause they couldn't meditate. And I said, have no expectations, have zero go into mm. it with literally the intent to observe. That's it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. never done psychedelics, but that, that, get, that, that those days are, are numbered. I mean, I, I'm, I'm so interested in this <laughs> and I'm going to go into it in uh, completely open-minded. I'm not going into it, have anything fixed. I'm not going into escape anything. I'm not going in it to explore mm -hmm. anything. I'm going to let my body and my mind and my, my, my subconscious or my conscious, whatever you want to call it, guide me into where mm -hmm. this is going to take me. And I'm really excited about it. But again, I want to have the set and setting. I want to do it in a legal environment. I want to have people that are around me that are supportive. And um, I just, to me, I just see this convergence of, of, of that addition to my life being positive. Am I afraid? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I don't know. Alcohol has an effect on everybody. I mean, we, like I said, we could play this game forever. I mean, my dad's mm -hmm. a doctor and he's not supporting, you know, all this stuff, but he says, you know, alcohol has done more damage to society than cannabis ever, ever could and never would, Oh, you yeah. know, and For I've sure. never smoked pot. So it's like, <laughs> but again, that shouldn't preclude me from being open-minded, especially if, especially if things were getting better, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you've got the right, you've got the right mindset already going into this experience, this experience. And I would say that if you take mushrooms a thousand times, that that is the mindset to have consistently right. going in. And even as a facilitator, you know, I, I do often dose alongside the people that I'm facilitating for. And that's a whole big other topic that a lot of people don't really understand. That is how it was traditionally done. And I do have a, uh, a very, uh, clear reason and purpose behind doing that but even then whenever i go into a mushroom experience it is i don't know what's going to happen i'm just here i'm just showing up this is the time let's see where it goes so as far as set mindset goes i think that is really 
the most effective mindset to have. You, you can go in with a little more direction. And very often I work with people who have very specific things that they're working on. And, you know, we'll spend a lot of time kind of talking about that and, and consciously and subconsciously preparing ourselves to, to really have that information in front of us. That's about the best you can right. do, though, is just set yourself up to have whatever it is that you want to address kind of there at the forefront of your I mean, mind. Shouldn't we be about choices? Shouldn't we be about letting the individual decide in the context of, of safety, obviously, um, let them decide mm -hmm. what tools they want to use to build their best mental health. And if you go back mm -hmm. to, to, let's talk about fentanyl. And and I have a dog in the hunt. My son died from fentanyl. So I, I, I feel mm -hmm. qualified to talk about this. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the initial reaction is fentanyl is a problem. Let's get it off the streets. Let's blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and, and now I'm all for that part. But if you go back to why fentanyl is even on the market in the first place, you go back to a lot of the, uh, for example, let's just use the opioid um, prescription issue for a while here, and then I'll go into alcohol for a minute. But in Johan Hari talks about this a lot. And so, you know, I'm not the only one that has these thoughts. But, you know, back when uh, Purdue Pharmaceutical was handing out Oxycontin like it was M&Ms, and the movie Dope mm -hmm. Sick will certainly educate you on that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great now. movie. Um, the, 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 the initial reaction was from experts was let's cut down the prescriptions for these things and thus less prescriptions of oxy on the street, less people will die. Right. And that's the naivety mm -hmm. of cause and effect. That's what people think it's linear. So mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. they did is they cut down prescriptions by like 60%. So doctors just, you know, stopped prescribing as much oxy as they, as they had in the past. Okay. Deaths went up a hundred percent. And then what happened was that people didn't realize that people that need legitimate pain management and people that are addicted. Okay. They, they're going through withdrawals there. You know, the withdrawal part of all the addiction is something people don't talk about. It's not just that I want it is that I can't be off it. Mm -hmm. My body just mm -hmm. starts mm -hmm. to, you know, um, eat itself literally. I mean, it can be a big problem at withdrawals. Right. And so what do we do if you still need this for legitimate pain management or you're addicted and they cut the amount of it in half. You're going to find it. You're going to go to the street. Mm -hmm. It creates a mm -hmm. demand. It creates a demand out there. Mm -hmm. Drug dealers mm -hmm. saw this. So they started adding fentanyl to these drugs to increase mm -hmm. the, the potency. Because as Johan Hari said, and this makes complete sense, why the pills and why everything out there is stronger today, mainly is because it is illegal. But if you go back to prohibition, and let's say you and I have a still and we're, we're hauling, you know, cases of beer around to people. Okay. And now they come in and say, it's illegal. Well, now having a truck full of cases of beer doesn't make any sense. I have to have half the amount and twice the strength. Right. So I go into whiskey mm -hmm, and bourbon. Mm -hmm. It's smaller. I can, I can sell it. Mm -hmm. It's more potent. And that's the same damn thing going on with drugs today. Yeah. They're smaller, yeah. they're more potent, and they're more effective. The problem is that potency is an alcohol, it's fentanyl. And mm -hmm. I watched that documentary and I thought there is something in this story that's not being told. And that's why as a mental health advocate, I am so on the demand side of this issue. I'm so on, mm -hmm. on less on the supply side and more on the demand side. Prohibition, mm -hmm. if, if that hasn't taught us one thing, making things illegal or incarcerating people for selling things um, just seems to have not worked. 
I, I just don't know how, I don't know how clear I can be about that. I, it's like, duh. At some point yeah. you go, you just go, okay, that that's the problem. But you know, mm-hmm. go, go, go yeah. try to get elected at the local city council running on that platform or your school board, <laughs> try to get elected there. You can't, you, there's just too much naivety out there. I think it will shift. Um, you know, I, every law makes an outlaw. That's what I just keep coming to. And, you know, as I mentioned on the phone, my son nearly died from fentanyl. He was in a coma for three days and it was, it was uh, just barely hanging on. Uh, so, you know, again, my heart goes out to you and everybody that's lost someone in, in this war on drugs, because that is who the real victims of the war on drugs are. It's not the cartels. It's not the fucking dealers. It's the everyday human beings who are dying because they either have become addicted to a substance that was made because it was illegal right. and it became appealing or it was prescribed. And, you know, it just goes on and on. And, and, and it, it just I don't I don't know other than just by doing what we're doing. And that's why I have just I've just done what I've done, because something has to change and there has to be someone, some people who stand up and say no more. I've, I've been entertaining the idea of running for political office in some way in the next cycle, just to, just to be a psychedelic practitioner who is out there publicly advocating and, and, you know, waving that banner. Right. It's, it's crucial. It's crucial. We just had so many people die and when so many lives could be saved, even when I was arrested, you know, I'm in, I'm in jail for a week with meth and heroin addicts. And I'm sitting there with these people thinking, the thing that I was arrested for is more criminal than what they were arrested for. I was looking at a 30 year sentence for mushrooms. Right. And what I was arrested wow. for could have saved the lives of, of the people that I was in jail with. Yeah. And again, people that follow my story and see this podcast, you know, I may lose followers over this. I may lose people that are interested in some of my initiatives, but you know, I've lost a, I've lost a son. I've lost a wife over these issues. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not going to say I don't care if somebody unfollows me or somebody wants to say, Hey, you know, how can this dad be out there semi promoting these things that killed his son? And I'm like, Oh, I don't think that's necessarily what killed my son. My son died from fentanyl. I get that. I get that. Mm-hmm. But it started with Adderall and that was prescribed by a doctor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So where do we go? We go to the ending or to go to the beginning? He maybe never gets to fentanyl if he's not given Adderall. So do you, right. where do you want to start? I mean, and again, I have a vested interest in this. I, I, you know, I, I'm not a, I don't have a business I'm trying to promote. I don't have, you know, if anything, I've lost money on this journey. I've been a mental health advocate. Most of what I've done has been in my own pocket. I haven't raised much money in my nonprofit at all. Um, you know, people aren't putting their money where their mouth is. Um, mm-hmm. I am. And, and people that, like you that have a a passion on these things. I I guess where I'm going with this is I am open to any way we can keep people alive, improve their lives, give them a little Mm -hmm. more happiness and peace, alleviate some pain, whether it's physical or mental pain. And if you go back from just a medical perspective, it wasn't too long ago we were doing electroshock therapy on people. We were, we were doing oh, yeah. lobotomy, so cutting are. them up and, and just yeah. it, it, now we laugh at it. Well, I think in 20 years, we're going to look back at some things we do today and laugh at it as well. Oh my God. Don't you think? Yeah, no, yeah. I think we'll cry over a lot of the stuff that we've especially done. Especially to our children. With especially to our children. Yeah. To our children. A hundred percent. 
a hundred, I mean, how many lights have been snuffed out? I, you know, I, I taught middle school for uh, quite year, about seven years and I would see children who were hyperactive, you know, they were just, they were just kids. They were kids. And then yeah, no, you see them go on medication and they become a completely different human being. The light gets snuffed out. And that's what I love about psychedelics is that particularly the, again, the plant-based psychedelics, they reignite that flame. And that's what we're, you know, my dad always for. said, we're Eric, looking, my dad's a doctor. He's 90 years old. He's one of the most intelligent, caring human beings I've ever met. He was talking about attention deficit when I was a young kid. Hmm. He said, you can't put it in him, but you can take it out of him. He's talking hmm. about the hyperactivity, the intensity, hmm. the, the lack of focus. Or as I like to say, I'm freaking very focused. I just get distracted easily. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, if you, I'm like a pit bull. If you put me on a project, I'm in it until mm -hmm. the door knocks and then I'm, then I'm gone. So it's like, <laughs> I think people that have attention deficit, it's a spectrum. We aren't presenting it as mm -hmm. that. We're presenting it as a problem or not a problem. And, and that yeah. just, again, we, we, gets me so angry that little Eric over here in fifth grade has this thing called attention deficit disorder but little Jeffy here doesn't. So Eric is abnormal because that's why we call disorder. Cause a disorder, if, if mm -hmm. everyone had attention deficit disorder, we wouldn't call it a disorder, right? We, we, we just right. call it part of being human. And so we have to call it a Again, disorder I, to make it a diagnosis. Yeah. No, and I think it, it's it's worth looking back again at traditional societies who those who had uh, these peculiarities, if you will, were often the ones who became the healers. The most right? creative people in society, Elon Musk, uh, you go back and forth and look at people that have slight levels of autism or attention deficit or ha mm -hmm. are, are not normal by all sense of purposes. They seem to be some of the most creative and most impactful humans that we've ever seen. Oh, yeah. For sure. And I, you know, I, I just, the last, I guess the last, I know we're running out of time here, but the last thing I think is really worth touching on is that this polarity that you're speaking of in terms of, you know, the black and white, it's either this mm -hmm. or that is, is an endemic problem in our culture that I think also psychedelics will help move the needle on because we see everybody from every political persuasion, every religious persuasion is coming to psychedelics because they need help and there's nothing that's actually doing it. So the potential for psilocybin and other psychedelics, particularly plant-based to heal culture on just a, just multiple levels is, is really completely untapped. And we're just starting to see the beginning of that. Yeah, and full disclosure, uh, I am not endorsing anything that we talked about today. I'm endorsing, um, having an open mind. That's what I'm endorsing. Anybody that is going to be doing these things, my suggestion is reach out to people like Eric, reach out to people that have done thousands of these, uh, I hate to call them trips, but thousands of these experiences, um, and, and, and make an educated decision that's best for you. Consult with your own doctor if you want. Um, you know, I guess that's the position I'm taking today. And that's why I was really excited about getting you on the show, Eric, because you're adding a different angle to the living undeterred podcast and to what we talk about daily, but it's something that I have an interest in and I have a right, I have a right to learn as much as I can about this stuff so I can make my own choices on my own mental health. Yes. And that's really what it comes down to. I don't want someone telling me that I can't explore these things because it's not legal in my state. Certainly I don't want to break the law. So I'll just go somewhere where it is legal and have these conversations and talk to these people. So 
Well, again, that's why, you know, I think maintaining our constitutional right of our spiritual practice yeah, is absolutely. central to this, you know, and I, I love that we can, we can bridge that gap with sanctuary. Hey, listen, how do people reach you, Eric? Uh, you can email through the Sanctuary website. That's Sanctuary with a P, as in psilocybin. Um, my wife and I also host the Psilocybin Says podcast. We've got a uh, .com for that. You can message us through there. Um, I'm on all the social medias, Eric Osborne, um, or on uh, Instagram, I am Spore Spreader. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's unique, man. Um, hey, this has been great, Eric. I really, really appreciate uh, the time you took, and uh, I'm excited for this episode to post and hear the feedback from people. So, um, again, we're heading into the holidays. I know when this post, it'll be probably you know March, but um, happy holidays, you and your family, and be safe. And uh, I look forward to our paths crossing down the road, man. 